All right, let me get to address the very common criticisms of Jesus. I think we have to deal with them. Um, I want to say for number seven, he discouraged marriage. They that they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that would and the resurrection from the dead neither marriage nor are given in marriage Luke chapter 20 verse 35 well here's how I see that here's what could have been better said marriage is beautiful marriage is a gift and There's nothing wrong with romance. There's nothing wrong with fidelity. There's nothing wrong with serious commitment. And there's nothing wrong with monogamy. Um, I would have said, you don't have to lose yourself or misuse yourself or even abuse yourself in order to satisfy a life you're not meant to live. You are wonderful married. You're wonderful unmarried. Marriage or lack thereof does not determine who you are. Who you know yourself to be determines who you are. And I would have said Single people, as well as married people, are just as equally outstanding in my sight. I think that would have been better because, to tell you the truth, it would have been wonderful if it was said that it's okay to fantasize about continuing marriage even paradise there's nothing wrong with wanting to continue the positive things about life marriage being one of them even in a utopia that's actually wondrous not the constructed one on earth that people use to be passive aggressive so, to soothe the, the concern, I wish the Bible writers would have done that. Um, and it's okay if you don't want to be married in paradise. That doesn't mean you don't love, or doesn't mean that your heart is whatever's right for you in life. You, you can have that changed in paradise if you want to. Or if you want to keep it the same on Earth and you want to keep it the same in paradise, that's cool too. Just know that a continuation of things in love ones is an addendum to the greatness you have with them and yourself on this earth. Number eight. 
When I say he, I'm talking about Jesus, says he was a hypocrite and told his fathers not calling anyone a fool. Whoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire, Matthew chapter 5, verse 22. And he often called his critics and disciples fools. Ye fools and blind, Matthew chapter 23, verse 17 and 19. Ye fools, Luke chapter 11, verse 40. O fools and slow of heart to believe, Luke chapter 24, verse 25. Pause. Well, the issue I have with scripture is I understand what they're trying to say, but they don't often provide context as to what is said. So if you're going to say, don't do something, explain all the context, all the proper context so people can fully understand exactly what you're talking about. And if you are going to go outside that rule, say, hey, they are exceptions to some of the rules that I'm telling you to do as well as do not do. So you have to provide context. You can't just make statements. I try my best to provide context. I'm not perfect at it, but I'm getting better at it over time. So that's what I'm starting to do with this episode is give people context for what does that mean? You said this, but something else is being said. I need this clarity and I'm going to give you the clarity sometimes strong language has to be used now strong language can be profanity sometimes and other times it's appropriate to use strong language without profanity like snake snake is not a cuss word but it's a very harsh word to call somebody you know it could be harsh to say but it's not a cuss word according to people who have decided which words are profane which words are not so sometimes you have to name call sometimes you don't sometimes you have to be careful what names to call people or not to depending upon are you on the job are you at home are you at a cookout are you at the store you know the who the what the when the where the why the which and how it takes wise people to help with that. So I, I wish the Bible writers would have answered those questions. Like, okay, there are fools in the world. Do I call them a fool out of hate? Or do I call them a fool out of this is your opportunity to turn from your toxic ways, your wicked ways. And how do I say what I need to say? You know, so don't go around just calling people names. Just do it. Um, that's unwise to do. But there are times where somebody is obsessed with self-destructive behavior. They're obsessed with destroying themselves and they keep being fixated on it. You may have to use strong language to get them to understand this is what you're doing to yourself and to other people. You need to stop it right now. So often in the Bible, I see statements being made, but the context, proper context wisdom is lacking. And that's what's causing people to have issues with Jesus because the Bible writers did not insert what exactly are you talking about? I know there's commentators trying to fill in those blanks, but I think the Bible writer should have said 
okay, this is what Jesus means when he says this. Or when he's doing the total opposite, here are the exceptions and why. Explain what is said and why for everything. Um, I think that could be done in the Bible. If you write something, put in the parentheses what you mean. Or write a paragraph explaining what you mean. You know, maybe the Bible doesn't have to be as big. Maybe it could be spent more with make a profound statement, give a profound commentary, explain the environments to do this in, not um, the, pe- the audiences and people to do this with, and not, and the times to do this and not. So people can fully have a much easier time being more certain and clear about Jesus and his teachings in his life. Um, number nine. He encourages fathers to mutilate themselves with blood out. So you have Matthew chapter 5, verse 20 to 30. Well, whosoever looketh on a woman's lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out. If thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast in hell. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20 through 30. Matthew chapter 18, verse 89. If thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life, halt or main, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye, rather than having two eyes to be cast in hellfire. Mark chapter 9, verse 43 to 48. I might not um, read all of these. Uh, Because I don't want to dumb any of y'all down. I don't even want to dumb me down. But I'm going to just see how well in time I am. Not to harm myself. I'm just going to flow. Okay. Mark chapter 9, verse 43 to 48. If thy hand offend you, cut it off. And if thy foot offend you, cut it off. And if thy eye offend you, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast to hellfire, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Okay. Here is the struggle here. What is considered less in this context? Are we talking about sex criminal type lust or majority of people healthy lust? Which one are we talking about? That should have been covered. And if I find somebody attractive, am I cheating with this person, what if I'm not married? Adultery is for the married, right? Am I the other person? I just have biological feelings. So here's the here I can explain what's being said, and here's how I can explain it better. It's okay to find people biologically attractive. At the same time, never forget their humanity, and never forget your own. Thing. And never forget your own humanity either. It's very simple. I simplify that. Another thing about the subject of self mutilation, I know that's a very sensitive subject because it has been a lot of trauma physical, sexual, and the other types that 
cause people to attempt self-mutilation or actually do it. So this is not something to play around with or play around with at all. Um, yes, in life, there are boundaries. Very few circumstances in life required to go to extremes. It's never cause unnecessary self-harm. It should never cause unnecessary harm to others. Um, as for avoiding hell, we should always do right because of the beautiful enhancement of our lives and the lives of other people. We should never do right for superficial exteriors meaning we should never do right for wrong reasons if you just do something to avoid hell but you don't love God that's ungodly in and of itself do right because you want as much positivity occurring to yourself and others as much as possible and if you live that way, is hell truly your issue? No. That's just ice on the cake. Okay, the place called hell that the Bible says, that's not my problem. And that's not other people's problem because we're, we're decent folks. So that's not something we have to worry about. That's not something we have to consider. It's like, no, if I live with integrity, then my soul and my flesh, they're fine. But, um, I, I, I'm also concerned because some people could use this to easily promote needless violence, and that is just unacceptable always. Um, and there's nothing wrong with sex. I'm not saying be anti-sex because I am pro-sex, as you know. But, and celibacy is okay. Absence are fine. They're fine. Um, but we have to be careful how we word metaphors and figurative language because it could be easily misconstrued or easily construed as you are promoting um, violations and violence. So we have to keep that in mind. Number 10, he encouraged men to castrate themselves. Matthew chapter 19, verse 12. There are some eunuchs which were so born from their mothers whom there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men, and there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. Okay. Some people have interpreted as historically that some people have physical limitations that prevent them from marrying or uh, that or prevent them from being in a relationship, prevent them from having sex, prevent them from doing a lot of fully independent things. Um, and then you have some people have historically said, well, eunuchs were the LGBT plus people of their day so, some people may be from the womb 
LGBTQ plus. Some people have said that. Um, and another thing is that it's okay to be single if you choose to, by choice. It's okay to be married by choice if you want to. Um, it's all confusing. Because the Unix has never been universally agreed upon. But I will say is that castration would be unhealthy. In the case that we don't want people with physical limitations feeling bad about themselves. Now if they choose to castrate, it should be because of self-loving reasons, not self-hate reasons. But I want to make sure they're alive even after the castration. Um, and then it says there's some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men. How do you make a person a eunuch? See, see, there's a lot of vagueness. I notice in scriptures and all the other holy books, not just the Bible, there's vagueness, there's ambiguity, there's cryptic, unclear, mysterious uncertain unfilled blanks that are in those religious texts um, so it's hard to interpret because the way it's written it's evasive quite tap dancing like in such a way that you don't know if the person's really happy or not because some people tap dance there's nothing wrong with tap dance I'm just using that as a metaphor for some people tap dance around stuff it looks like word there's a lot of word salad in all the religious texts that I am very concerned about um, so it's hard to fully interpret because it's dancing around something that doesn't get to the heart of the something. It's not direct. It's always indirect. I notice there's too much indirect language in all religious texts which really, really concerns me. Um, so, I'm just, instead of spending all the time with all the scriptures, because that's going to take too much time, um, I'll just go for it. Y'all can do the research. He approved of God's killings in the Bible. Oh, I keep... I, I'm gonna just go for it. Well, here's what I'll say. I think that... I think that the concept of God and genocide has been poorly explained in Scripture. Here's why. If you say thou shalt not kill explain what that means. Are you talking about the death penalty? Are you talking about self-defense? Are you talking about war? Are you saying all types of killings or certain types of killings? And, are, and, who, and who gets to kill who doesn't get to kill? Stop saying thou shalt not kill you can't be vague about uprightness. No, you need to be fully 
unexplainable in uprightness. If you're going to tell me do not kill, it will be much easier for me not to kill if I don't see you kill. But if you're killing, and I would be in hellfire for killing, going to biblical, conservative, you know, traditional theology, then to me that's unfair. Why is God depicted as, I can do it, but you can't. I can say it, but you can't. I can think it, but you can't. I can think it, but you can't. That sounds like a elementary school child who is the playground bully that has the good kid coming home in bruises all the time. Um, I don't like that image of God. So if God had to kill for righteous reasons, that should be fully explained. So I can go, oh, okay, I can, I can see why God had to do it. And so if God tells me not to kill, so it's their consistency. So if God is saying to me, don't take life, um, why does God get to do stuff that we can't? Because I don't like hypocrisy. I really can't stand that. I don't like that imagery of God. I don't like God associated with genocide and hypocrisy. It really makes me uncomfortable. So I'd be like, you know, God, at least explain why you did what you did. Some people will say, well, God's the parent, so he don't owe you no explanation. Yes, he does. If he's going to tell me to do right, and I have the sincere heart to do right, I want to do right. I'm going to do right all the time. Even when I don't feel like it, I still do the right thing anyway. So I'm going to do right all the time. I just need God to give me the whole alphabet. And once he gives me the whole alphabet of why I should and should not do certain things, then I can easily read scripture and go, okay, God did the right thing and I know why. Because I understand that some people can do what you can't because you have like hierarchies on the job, but... I don't want hierarchy to be hypocritical, and I don't want that to be associated with God, so I, it would be easier if God just explained why you did what you did. So I can appreciate what God does. Explanation causes me appreciation. Explanation births appreciation, right? So appreciation for me is the byproduct of explanation. It's sound-minded, it's logical, so I can go, got it. And I can move forward with my life in peace. The genocide thing concerns me because I don't like the image of God as a mass murderer. I do not like the image of God as a serial killer. I don't like the image of God as the most prolific killer in all of history. Um... That needs to be explained because that is way too vague for me. Okay, 12. He believes in the Old Testament stories. Let me get to that. Well, some parts of the Old Testament are horrific. I explained the genocide. That's one of the parts. Um, I have the Bible in my hands, so let me go over a few of them because I don't want to dumb us down. But I want to get to the point so you can go, okay, I got it. We can take it from here. So you do have um, the Abraham and Hagar situation. Um, 
you know, Ishmael born out of a union that wasn't fully happy. And then you have the attempted gang rape of Lot's daughters, right? And then you have Noah's son seeing their father nude. And there's a inference of incest potentially, which makes me want to throw up. And, you know, you also have Jacob's daughter, Dinah, being raped. And, um, those things are pretty rough for me. Um, and then you have the whole cat women being taken captive and paying the father's shekels, and it's an inference of the daughters being sexually violated in some kind of way but you get to pay to marry the rapist that that's what's being inferred based on how it's worded i'm just like that's i don't like this image of god the certain image of god i just go hell no i'm only saying that because it's all my religion i just say hell no um if you if you believe in Old Testament stories, where's the explanation for all the horrors of the Old Testament? Uh, there's a lot. You know, Abraham about to murder his child. I I I, I really need help with that. I I do. I need serious help with that. I'm like, what if that's childhood trauma of attempted child murder from your dad? Yeah, I, I, that, that's vague for me. I need some help. Um, except the Old Testament laws. Okay. I have the Bible in my hand. So let me be right instead of necessarily wrong. Okay, so we're going to go to Leviticus. Because Leviticus is the biggest thing that gets people in terms of what the Old Testament laws for certain most people would say Leviticus, whether you believe it or not, they go straight to Leviticus. But let me go to Leviticus chapter 18. 18. This is the hallmark of the Old Testament laws. And some you not you may not like a lot of these laws. At least I can tell you that for certain. Okay. So let's go to Leviticus chapter 18, verse 23. Something Okay, do not have sexual relations with an animal, defile yourself with it. A woman must not present herself to an animal to have sexual relations with it as perversion. Okay, most people hate bestiality, and rightfully so, because I'm one of them. At the same time, why is the woman singled out and not the man? And how come they're both not mentioned? Why is it more disgusting for a woman to commit bestiality with a man? I, uh, I can't stand that. And then you have um i don't want to read the whole lot of them anymore because it's just too disturbing um okay oh god Ugh. okay do not have sexual relations with your do not dishonor your father by having sexual relations with your mother choose your mother not relations with her 
Um, as I read that, I'm wondering why. Okay, let me make sure that I'm reading it clearly so I don't say it's something necessarily untrue. Okay. Here's a problem that I'm seeing. Why doesn't it say do not have sex, do not dishonor your mother by having sexual relations with your father? He is your father. You can have relations with him. How come that's not said? Why are women always singled out unnecessarily? How come they're both never included? Those are the only two I'll mention. The rest are basically saying don't commit incest. Why is incest more hard to find than rape? I don't get it. What is the fascination with incest that there is no let's harp on people not being sexually violent towards one another i i i can't i'm done i can't stop with that for okay let me just get to the rest he criticized the pharisees for not killing parent cursing children oh uh, uh, that's why i can't read the rest of the scriptures because it's just like i get triggered you know here's the thing why is honoring parents more important than honoring children? Aren't children the least of these? Parents are clearly not. Okay, and then, again, the, 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 the killing kids. There's plenty of child sacrifice in scripture. Why didn't you, why didn't, the Bible writers talk about that. Why they talk about this thing they're talking about just like uh, moral inconsistency just bothers me to no end. Okay, number 15. He and his dad plan to torture billions of people forever after they die. Okay, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So you're a benevolent deity according to God's self. But there's people in the Middle East, for example, some people don't like to call it the Middle East, they say Station of Africa, and I respect that. Okay. Around the near near Africa, let's just say that, to be correct. You have plenty of people who never hear about Jesus. So why punish me for what I don't know? Why attack me for my innocent lack of knowledge? And why everlasting murder? Why everlasting bloodshed? Why everlasting horror showing? I, I, I can't. And get back to 14. Why? Why are bad kids more pay more attention to the good kids in scripture? And why?
another thing. Why aren't why how come parents of good kids did not as talked about in scripture? That's my last question. Okay. Back to fifteen. Why torture people just because they don't follow one pathway that is said to be morally excellent? Why not focus on the they're decent people? That's enough for me. If they're decent people, that means they're honoring the decency that I put in them. That's it. That's all the glory I need to get from them. That's how I feel. Because you you have instances where people have had a tough time with the subject of hell. Nightmares, flashbacks. Even it it provokes insomnia in people because some people want to stay up at night because they feel like they've closed their eyes then they'll open their eyes in hell. That has happened to me. The knife movie that just really gives people a phobia of hell. You know, so people have to really remember and as for the concept of hell, I struggle with it. You know, the ones who rape them, like, sometimes I want them there. Sometimes I don't want them there. A lot of times I want them there. A lot of times I don't. It's just that the concept of hell also has scared me because I remember in grade school fearing that my um, peers were in hell because they weren't Christian, but they were Christ-like. As long as people are Christ-like being decent people, why is that enough for the biblical God? I I, I just have a sincere question. He implied that all Jews are going to hell. Oh God. I don't like this because um what I'm concerned is the view of Jesus being anti-Semitic. But he was a Jew. I don't want him to be anti-Semitic to himself, nor to any other Jew. Um, that's concerning. Because if you're condemning somebody, make sure that what you say has no easy defensive racism. I don't like the idea of Jesus being racist. It just makes me want to throw up some more, to be honest with you. So I think there's a way to address people without people easily saying that your character lacking when it comes to this and that, you know what I mean? And then it says he was a warmonger. Book of Revelation, Book of Matthew. Um, I wish Jesus explained what how to go about the concept of war because he was known as a non-violent person that's one of my favorite things about him from what I was reading for the most part of the bible he was a very non-violent person but when he made a whip 
a, a whip of cords and drove people out. I was like, okay, Jesus, I need you to explain why you did that. Because that can make people easily defend corporal punishment and slavery. So I'm like, Jesus, put it in a way that people can easily defend what you did instead of struggling to defend what you did, making it hard to defend what you did. So I need Jesus to explain all of his thoughts on violence and war and self-defense. And another thing about the whole killing thing, um, it's unclear if abortion is a part of that in the Bible because it there isn't I have never seen an example of abortion in the Bible I'm like but okay this should have been put in scripture there should have been an example of it and Jesus saying something God saying something the prophet saying something but I have no I don't see that in the Bible and I've read it in full detail full cover cover so I'm like how can they say pro-life, but abortion is not explained in scripture? And why is being pro-choice being vilified if God did not directly tell the Bible writers, I want you to write about this abortion, write about all the... Um, explanations and causations of abortion and the contexts that are okay that's okay that's not and if you're completely not okay with it why not just create stories about that or give a paragraph and bullet point everything that you feel about it so that and then euthanasia and physician assisted suicide you know Stop, you know, being legally killed, but you're not going to jail for it, you know, because you had to help end the person's life because they were that terminally ill. How come there's no example of that in the Bible? And does God hate that 100% or is he mostly okay with it? But in some circumstances, is he mostly not okay with it? But circumstances, he is. See, that's not explained. I have issues with that. He was a megalomaniac. Uh, Book of Mark and John. Uh, I struggle with... Let me make sure I know what that means because I don't want to be unnecessarily ignorant. Uh, Megalomaniac, a person who's who's obsessed with their own power. Um, I can understand why people feel that way. I think it would have been easier for Jesus to explain his power in a way that people go, oh, okay, he's about community power. It's not always him wanting to be glorified to the point where the attention-seeking can be puzzling. So I wish Jesus would have uh, addressed that. Um, and it earlier says, false prophet, you know, bear less hand to you. This generation shall not pass till all things be filled. Behold, I come quickly. Some people are saying, when you say come quickly, it's been 2,000 years and you're not here. And I would say, you know, 
explain what come quickly means to this generation shall not pass. Fully explain it so people can see you as a tr- more people can see you as a true prophet, and more people can say, okay, I was wrong. He's a true prophet because he explained all this so good. I get what he's saying. Um, okay. Number twenty. He condemned cities to dreadful deaths and to the eternal torment of hell because they didn't care for his preaching. Um, here's my thing. How did he preach? What was his tone of voice? What word choices did he go by? And how often he preached this? Was this a new sermon? Was this relatively new? Was it something he's been saying for quite some time? And did he try all the avenues to truly reach these people? Scripture gives me so many questions. Because of the vague statements, I need help. And so I'm trying to understand. I'm really genuinely trying to understand. And what type of culture is these cities? What type of religion do they practice? And did they did they did, they, did denominations exist back then? in terms of different sects of S-E-C-T-S of Judaism? Was there different ways to practice the same religion like Christianity back then? I don't know. And condemning cities and not care for preaching, my other thought is where did he preach? Was it appropriate time, appropriate place? And who are these people? I don't know much about Shorazan, Kaparabeset, in terms of the people. What kind of people were they? Because if that could be fully explained, I can see why he could condemn, but I can't because it's so short. So I, you know, I'm just like, I'm just thinking to myself, You know, I don't like the inference that Jesus was obsessed with his own preaching. So when we condemn, it has to be sensible why you condemn. And I also think about, you know, the concept of... um, of being self-secure that way just sending people to hell but I'm like but I'm thinking to myself what if he said things that went against what they were already practicing in terms of religion and spirituality and faith I think there should have been more dialogue between Jesus and Shores and Capernaum and Seda. Um, because if you're an itinerant preacher saying things that most people have not heard before, there's going to be some backlash, not because of them being difficult, but because they have strong beliefs, just like Christians do. So I can't imagine Jesus just you know, law. You know, Las Vegas, you're going to hell. L.A., you're going to hell. But 
You didn't tell me the whole city is going to hell. You didn't tell me there's no decent people out these cities. Come on, I think that is far fetched. Okay, number 21. He calls an entire generation by perverse, evil, adulterous vipers. Hmm. I. Blanket statements can be troubling because it ignores the individuality that people are, whether they're in a group or not. Like, do you really know these people? Everyone is shouldn't. That's like saying all millennials are stuck up. No, a lot of us are well-mannered people. So it's like name drop exactly who you're talking about. Instead of saying all these people, I'm like, no, name who you're talking about. That's like saying all church people or all secular people. No, be direct in who you talking about. And the ones who you're not talking about, say, well, I'm not talking about you. I'm going to talk about these people. Not all, not everyone is perverse, evil, and adulterous, of course. Most of us are good and wholesome and loyalty appreciating, actually. Okay, he proved the torture. Matthew chapter 18, verse 34, verse 35. How can that be? And he was tortured himself. I'm like, why approve of something, especially when it happened to you? He invented George W. Bush's false dichotomy. He that is not with me is against me. Now, I think when it comes to that, what does it mean to be for you? And what does it mean to be against you? And what does it mean for people to pick a side but be sure not? In terms of how you're carrying yourself. Does being for you mean that anybody is a, who is a decent person is for you? What if some of those decent people are not Christian? Would you say they're against you? Even though they live their lives very similar to yours? Those are questions, right? Okay. I'm going to be quicker in my response because I don't have much time. He inspired the Republican Tea Party. Uh, uh, I wish Jesus would have explained the horrors of political hijacking, especially political parties. Um, I hope that's not true. He believed in unforgivable sin. Yes, I'm confused by that. He tells us to forgive. Could it be more than one unforgivable sin? And why just one? And why something unforgivable but your person teaches forgiveness? And, you know, God, if, if you don't forgive, then God, if you don't forgive somebody or some people, God doesn't forgive you. I, I, I'm lost. But I, uh, I'm tongue-tied on that one. I'm so confused. He spoke in parables to confuse people so they could send them to hell. And he said to them, unto you, it is given to them in the midst of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without all these things that are done in parables, then 
that seeing they may hear and not perceiving him, they may hear and not understand the lesson and time they should be converted and soon should be forgiven. Matthew chapter 4, 11, Mark 12, 15. I think he should have used direct language because he loved them and not so much because of an eternal destination place. Because if I love you, then I don't want hell to be your issue. So I'm going to be clear in who I am and present it in a way that doesn't make you feel like the culture you're raised in is something that I perfectly put you in so you wouldn't be able to appreciate me. I think if you would have said it directly and, and, and go about miracles in a way that could easily make people go, you know what? I'm for this person. I'm for him. Because he is actually involved in our everyday life. Maybe not every day, but and he's involved in now. Because it says when he did miracle still not believe him, like I don't understand. Um How can something supernatural happen and people still turn? I'm like, why not go inside their hearts? I'm not saying mind control, but why not engage their heart and soothe all its fears and trepidations? Because it's, it's, it's just weird to have something supernatural happen and people don't, be, don't believe or respond like, huh? And it's still like, I'm not going to believe, but it showed them. Couldn't he have spoken directly to their hearts to get them to start changing? Uh, yes, accountability and all that. You get free will, but how can it be free will and just ask them a simple question? Use your free will for me, or you will just have them go to hell. I'm like, huh? Last question. He believed in God himself as his enemies fought in front of him. I'm stuck on that one because they say God invented kindness. How can you tell us to be peaceful but you're being chaotic? That question. These are me reading people's doubts and just asking questions. You believe in devils, evil eyes, and unclean spirits and unclean spirits. Why not commit genocide on devils, evil eyes, and unclean spirits? If you can do that to humans, why can't you do that to demons? I don't understand. He was a bit of a racist, you know. One was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter, he said her, and the children first be first, but it's not me. not right to take those bread and to cast them to the dogs. 
I wish Jesus would have spoken in a way that would easily clear him out of misogyny. He would easily clear him misogyny. I know he was misogynist, but when you say dog, he basically called the woman a bitch. And I'm like, Jesus, no, don't say dogs. Don't say dogs. Because as modern people are going to think that you're a misogynist, don't do that. Don't speak in a way that makes us think that way about you. I don't want to think that way about you. And then we said, the racist part, I'm just like, speak to her in a way that is easily clearing you of racism. Say what you got to say, but don't say dogs. And we put the Greek aside of Phoenician, you make it racist. I'm like, no, just say what you got to say, but don't use misogynistic language. Don't make it racist. That's all I'm saying. I'm like, Jesus, I love your points, but word them in a way so we can all easily defend you. Because a lot of people want to easily defend you. So one of them. But the language is just like, oh, God. And oh, God is right. I'm not taking his name in vain. I'm just like, God, why? I'm really like, you know. Um, 30, he condemned people to hell for things that the ancestors supposedly did. That's chapter 23, verse 31 through 35. I'm just like, wait, no. I can't suffer for the sins of my parents. I should only suffer for my own sins that I deliberately did to myself and others. Um, generational cursing. I'm like, wait a minute. That's because a lot of them are living foul. I'm an individual. I choose not to live foul. Condemn me for what I'm doing instead of condemn me for what other people are doing that I had no control over. 31, he kind of got gross sometimes. He put his finger into his ears and spit and touched his tongue. Um, I understand the whole there are messy parts of doing what's right. I get that. But the example of like, well, you can heal without the liquidy stuff. Um, eat my flesh, drink my blood. I'm like, no. I get people should. Receive your wisdom and all things great and good about you, great and good about you. But don't say things that can make people quickly think cannibalism. No, I don't want people to do that. And I get that sometimes doing the right thing requires you to get your hands dirty, but the example kind of throws it off. Because when you spit and everything, put on someone's face, that can make people think it's okay to spit on people. It's okay to put my spit on people. Like, no, we don't want to defend that. No. I'm like, I love what Jesus did in terms of healing, being who he, who he was and is. It's just the way that the Bible writers said things. I'm just like, why did you word it that way? Word it so good, write it so good that we can just enjoy what you did and move on with our lives. You know what I mean? Instead of being perplexed and discomforted and and disturbed by what you did and said it's like I think the Bible I think there's poor writing in some passages of each religious text and I'm like how is it so easy 
and to freak people out like this. 32, he proved that slave release, didn't object to it, said that God is like a slave owner who beats the slaves to themselves, families to pay for debt. Next chapter 18, verse 23 through 25, Luke chapter 12, verse 47, Luke chapter 7, verse 10, 2 through 10. And I'm just like, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm sorry for saying like so much, I'm trying to stop doing that. I, I say to myself, why not openly and directly object to what you hate? Especially with the slave obey masters. Why not say, why not say servants instead of slaves? And why not say respect your mass, respect your employer instead of obey your masters? No, no, no. If you're gonna say that thou shalt not commit bestiality, such as earlier, why not say thou shalt not enslave? Thou shalt not bondage another human. Thou shalt not rape. Thou shalt not molest. Thou shalt not be a misogynist. Thou shalt not be racist. Thou shalt not be homophobic and transphobic. A lot of the things that have happened now should have had God's full-fledged feelings being fully explained. Because things have changed, so I think the Bible and all religious texts deserve constant revisions and updates, in my opinion. So we can know for certain what God is saying about our modern era today. I don't like that image of God, the, the slave mastering over saying I not been plantation on I just don't like that. Thirdly, someday he'll fight against people the sword stick out of his mouth. Revelation chapter two verse sixteen. Revelation chapter nineteen verse fifteen to twenty-one. Uh, this bothers me so much. If you say he didn't come to bring peace with a sword, and Peter put your sword away. But then you got the shot. So I said, wait a minute. The flip-flopping. I have a hard time not worrying because of that, to be honest. Again, every side of Jesus is not properly context, which causes me legitimate concern. Um, don't have a deadly weapon, but do? I don't understand. He threatens to kill children with death. I'll kill the children with death. Revelation 2, verse 23. Whatever issue you got with the adults, keep it to the adults and leave the kids out of it. Okay. Revelation chapter 14, verses 14 through 20. He's going to kill billions of people with his sickle. Before I go to that, why create orphans? If you love kids so much, you want both their parents to be there, right? Um, in a sickle, I 
I think that's why, you know, time to sickle. Sickle is a short handled farming tool with a semi-circular blade used for cutting grain, lopping, or trimming. Um, explain why these people are devilish and the origins of it. Explain what makes them diabolical. And what and what and what's confusing is in the Bible often there's so many instances of justice, but now that we're more enlightened as modern people, okay, there are types of justice. Um how do you go about distributive justice? Environmental justice. Uh, organizational justice, poetic justice social justice, racial justice, open justice. Um, how do you go about retributive how do you go about retributive justice and deterrence and rehabilitation and incapacitation or reparation or denunciation right? And relational ju justice, right, right? Um, what about restorative justice? See, those things aren't specified in scripture terms of how do you go about each of those things? Um, It's just, it's very vague, which makes me really, really frustrated. Um, how do you go about solitary confinement? How do you go about participatory justice? You know what I mean? You know, it's, it's and then, he killed a fig tree by cursing it because he didn't have any fruit that he could eat. Um, why? curse this victory. Why curse nature? Isn't nature worthy to be blessed? Nature's a blessing of itself. Or why not just put the fruit to the victory so you can eat? You know, your God, provide for yourself. That's just my thinking. And necessarily kill 2,000 pigs. Oh, God. And, and, and explain the whole pork controversy, because that's the controversy in which you eat pork or not, because it's very prominent, especially in Islam, to not eat pork. From my, I, I noticed that Muslims are the most not into eating pork. Uh, I met some people Judaism who didn't eat pork. I met some Christians who didn't eat pork, but Islam is the most insistent on eating pork from my personal experience. So that would have been fine to explain that instead of, you know, pig genocide. What did the pigs do to you? You know, what did they really do to you? They're inhabited by evil spirits. Why let pigs eat anything else, you know? And then, um, he said that this belief will be tormented forever in hell. 
what about the the majority believe the majority disbelieve are just sweet people? Uh, shouldn't that be factored in? His friends thought he was insane. Why have them as your friends if they think you are challenged in the realm of sanity? That's not, that's a sincere question. He said the true followers will cast out devils, speak in tongues, handle snakes, and drink poisons. Well, I, casting out devils, speaking in tongues, okay, okay, but then the whole handling snakes, drink poisons, wouldn't that be dangerous? Don't you have to be safe while you do hard things? Don't you need backup? Don't you need to make sure you can live after and not necessarily have to go to the hospital or fear of going to the hospital all the time? His family didn't believe in him. Why well, have to mess your family? If people aren't really believing in my best interest, I'm not dealing with them. I, I'm just, I'm not. I'm not us versus them at the same time. If you're not going to believe in me, why should I keep bothering myself with you? You know, his neighbors rejected him. Get better neighbors. Those neighbors suck. I'm not going to keep having neighbors that don't have my best interest. No. Um, many that saw him close to first thought he was manifest by devil. So instead of angel, Satan masquerading angel of light, they think the angel of light masquerading Satan. They think the angel is Jesus. Uh, okay, this, the, the irony is just maddening. I'm just like, wait a minute. This is not supposed to happen to a Christ figure at all. And what was his physical appearance if they thought that? I hope those people are just clearly idiots. But many, and more than one person, I'm like, that's very troubling. It's, and um, he said that everyone who lived before him was a thief and robber, John chapter 10, verse 8. I wouldn't have said all. I was just specified exactly what I was talking about. One, he talked with sweet knowledge about the end of the world. Matthew 13, verse 8, 24 to 25. Matthew 14, 3 through 30. Matthew 14, 10 through 11. Here's what I would say. Specify what you mean by end of the world. Don't say nation or resignation. Specify who exactly who you're talking about so people can clearly understand everything you're saying. And they said, oh God, this is tough. He that believes in me, the scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. They said he said these things. I'll just say, I wish the Bible writers would have written a way that, that people could easily see him saying intelligent things. Um, I don't like to judge Jesus harshly. I mean, that's not my goal, but it's the way that things are written that's just so hard to interpret. It's really difficult. So that makes people say, this is stupid. I can't, I don't get it. It's just saying stuff, but, you know, the wording throws people off. So people aren't trying to be judgmental against you. It's just that the way scripture is written, it's so hard to interpret. It can be very frustrating. Some people say things can be frustrated. He lied about prayer. Whatever you shall ask my name that I will do, um, you shall say. I think the issue is the metaphorical and the literal. 
has always been hard to interpret. Which interpretation do we make of Pluto to make them political? This is this is kind of strange. Um, I could definitely see that being strange to um, to many people. I can understand that. Um, I think this is the last one. Um, he didn't know much about biology. It's like a grain of mustard seed. Mark Arthur once said it too. I wish Jesus would have advocated thing for science and scripture. You know, that explains everything. And I just wanted to be honest about what I've grown. Um, um, I felt the need to talk about this kind of stuff. So, um, I'll, let me just keep going. I don't need to rush. Okay. This is the Biblical God by Reverend Lisa Schwartz, Chaplain, Seventh of Recovery Program, Speak of Kansas. And she goes on to say, as a chaplain serving poor, often mentally ill, slash people with addictions, uh, I thought that any understanding of God that could really ground and sustain me would have to be equally accessible to the people I work with. For me, a person with a recovering addict working in treatment centers for mostly poor and many minority clients, the story of struggles and redemption found in the Bible is key. As a little story to tell Jesus' resurrection is hard to sustain. But as a metaphor that illustrates there's life beyond the death of addiction, despair, and total loss is hard to eat. I agree with her. I agree with everything she just said. Um, my ideas about God have even evolved into something vaguely Trinitarian. I believe we experience God on several different planes simultaneously as the transcendent, mysterious other as the force of life and inspiration with ourselves and in the face of other people, both our friends and our enemies. She's spot on 100%. That's how I feel too. Okay, let's go to community. Anthony D. Penn, Associate Professor of Religious Studies, Malacaster College, St. Paul, Minnesota. It's been years since I've used the word God to explain anything about the world in which we live. The issue of evil and suffering prevents me from finding any comfort in this term. This is especially true when I consider the history and current needs known community of African American communities. The idea of God has had a mixed record at best with respect to the African American struggle for liberation. In my experience has often justified suffering by seeing it as redemptive instead of encouraging a strong, consistent fight against injustice. I see no merit in this. I believe the tradition of African American humanism points to the human potential for progressive activity without the need of God talk. Mine is a firm atheism that avoids talk of transcendence. From my perspective, there's nothing to have a simple God. In this place, I affirm that there's community. It is in community that we encourage to develop our full human potential to overcome oppression. I can understand how can we value God when us black folks are being decimated by white higher-ups. I get that. Um, sometimes I feel that way. Um, I can totally relate to Anthony Penn's statement. You know, sometimes I feel that way. I feel that way as a black person, as an autistic person, and as a severe child abuse person. I'm a member of three communities, so I can understand the whole. I just want to build a community where we fight things because, you know, seeing, you know, suffering is how people, a lot of people find redemptive can be troubling. It's like, wait, 
we don't want this to redeem. We want this to be destroyed because it's hurting persons. It's hurting people. So I can relate to that. Love. Reverend Elizabeth Kate Ellis, Senior Minister and Executive Director, Unitarian Diversity Urban Ministry, Boston, Massachusetts. For 20 years, I have followed the practice of Ignatian contemplative prayer while ministering in a variety of settings in inner city communities. This path is one of activist spirituality. Ooh, I learned something new about myself. I have activist spirituality. Therefore, I'm also a spiritual activist. Yes. We deepen our experience of God through spiritual direction and prayer. We come to know that which is beyond our explanations, but which is always love. From the knowing and from the mutuality of the experience of love, we are called to be co-creators of the reign of God on earth. Those are exactly some of my feelings. Those are my feelings. God is in the nitty-gritty work of loving one another in the social, economic, political, and material world. We are called to understand the world systems and its evils and to establish mutual love in spite of all our unlovability. At the same time, though, through attention to prayer, we discover God who begs us to know mystery in life. We discover love without beginning or ending, which we live, which lives in us, which offers us unimaginable joy beyond expectations. Those are my feelings. I have so many feelings. And some are contradictory because I'm human. Relationship is the last one for this one. Reverend Eric Walker Whitstrom, parish minister, First University Church, Dartmouth, Maine. When I was young, I believed in a personal God, a person who, through invisible, would probably look like one of my grandchildren's paintings. So, through other kinds of belief, the impersonal God, a force like gravity, a love for life itself. This latter belief satisfied my mind for some time. Sometimes I think God is an impersonal God. And so, I'm, I'm with him. Yet, what was missing from this understanding of God for me was the quality of the relationship, the actual experience of the relationship with God, which I had known as a child, which my honest mama says to me still, even though it no longer made sense. After much wrestling, I believe the personal God who is not a person is a mystery beyond my ability to comprehend, yet no less real for my confusion. Woo! Reverend Eric, he's speaking. Speaking my spirit, man. Yes. This God is holy, other yet also a close, yet also as close as my own breath. St. Augustine wrote, if you can understand it, it's not God. I cannot say what God is, so I know in my soul that God is. God is known by many names, yet it's not fully known by any name. Even so, God can be known and loved. And God loves us all. God loves us all. So, yeah, so my views on God are God is life force, mystery, the web of existence. Wait, I didn't read the web of existence part. Ooh, that's the last thing. I'm sorry, y'all. That'll be the last thing short. Did I? If I didn't, I'll just read it so I can know for an idea. Okay. The Web of Existence, Reverend Kathy Huff, Associate Minister, First Parish in the Transversal Church of Austin, Massachusetts. Long before I know anything about physics, I sense that life is well protected by physical threats of being that the Earth and all that lies beyond it emanate not from one source, but from a complex web of existence and energy that spans time and space. While well, I believe there are conscious connections and interdependent relationships within this great level of existence, I do not use the word God or Goddess to describe it. The universe that I experience has no moral aspect. There's no underlying plan or message to be discerned. Giving intentionally to life is a human tendency. The beauty and excitement of being human is that we have infinite opportunities to make our own meaning. This reality forces me to share this in the full range of the earth's joy and suffering. It requires that I work for justice and transformation of all that with marginalized or oppressed. Being part of a conscious universe with no moral first cause means that each moment profoundly matters. Everything that I do, say, think, or feel relates to everything else and may have consequences and meaning beyond my comprehension. 
Nisidus, I'm a perpetual author, power such a universe. I think I can relate to that. I can. I can. I told you my views on God are complex, so there are many avenues that I see aspects of myself in each of these views of God. So I'm not being a get with. Sometimes I feel one way, sometimes I feel another way. The fluctuation, the roller coasting, I'm telling you, it's real. Um, so when I'm agreeing quickly, it's not out of not thinking for myself. No, I've read it and I thought and I go, sometimes that's me. Sometimes the other views are me. Hey, it's okay. So, and I am for religious pluralism, by the way. Um, I want to find the simplest explanation to know. And real quick, I am for the licensing and ordinations of women, uh, LGBT plus plus persons, young people, especially children. Okay. Religious pluralism is the belief that people embrace different even conflict religious views can and should seek to live in harmony with one another while celebrating each other's religious distinctions. Typically, those who describe pluralism reject the notion that any one particular religious ideology is right or best. That's me. I believe Religious pluralism generally first belief in two or more religious worldviews as being equally valid acceptable, and that would be my viewpoint. Um, when it comes to religion, I'm an inclusivist, I'm a pluralist, and I'm also a universalist. I think when it comes to I could definitely finish with this. Unitarian Diversalist Views of Jesus. This will be the last one, y'all. Last time I'll talk about it. By Joy Berry, Don Speak, Cooley, Scott McNeil, Janalu, Johnstone, Robin Barlow. Do you use thoughts on Jesus like the diversity of thought encouraged by our liberal faith? Our principles include a commitment to a free and responsible Christian truth and meaning. Whatever one views, there's likely we share them. Yet, we are more than our individual stories. Unitarian verses in the religion that claims many sources, including the deeds and teachings of great teachers, inspiring wisdom in the world's many religions and our Jewish and Christian heritage. Clearly, Jesus has a place in this faith. These may be Jesus as a moral exemplar, practicing compassion, generosity, and mercy that he preached in his own life and stories like the good shepherd, the good Samaritan, Jesus calls us to connect, to transcend pride and selfishness, and choose instead to love and serve, to do good and to care for each other. For some, Jesus is a prophetic leader and instrument of the divine. They may or may not believe Jesus is the Son of God who was resurrected to share with Christians a tradition that his witness has spiritual power to redeem mistakes and save lives. Many describe the personal relationship to him that strengthens and inspires. Jesus calls us to discover new life and truth by following him. Others view Jesus as a reformer and, dis and dissident, an underdog and ally. He was executed as a political criminal because of his teachings, but his life made an impact on it now. He called out injustice in his own community and in the government. He stood with and spoke up for the most vulnerable and he challenged the followers to feed the hungry if they would be imprisoned. Jesus calls us to transform, to resist the unjust systems that divide us and to shape them for good. All those words are my thoughts on Jesus. The Son of God part, 
that's a fluctuation for me. I hope in it, it's just a fluctuation. I don't always feel that way, you know? In the resurrected part, fluctuation. Hope in it, but I don't always feel that way. The pain of my childhood. Just keep that in mind. Near fluctuation here, Antonio's painful childhood, okay? All right. So we got... Reverend Don, she's cool. He's first Unitarian Church of Louisville, Kentucky. As agnostic humanist, sometimes that's me, sometimes I'm agnostic humanist, I find a deep resonance with the Jesus portrayed in other gospels. He was a man who healed the sick, fed the hungry, clothed the poor. He did something about the suffering, so around it because he felt connected with those who suffered. He was a revolutionary in this way, going outside consistent structures to right the wrongs of the system. His ethic is consonant with religious humanism. I find it both educational and inspirational. All those words are some of my feelings. Reverend Scott McNeil, Bull Run Unitarian Universalist, Man- Manassas, Virginia. As a Unitarian Universalist, I love reading the Gospels and witnessing the method Jesus used to guide people to answers rather than simply giving them the answers. I connected Jesus as a person who wanted to fix the problems on his faith community and society, to build a community that he knew was possible rather than simply go through the motions of everyday life. It was in my de- deification of Jesus that could reconnect the story, trading Messiah for mentor. You know, Jesus feels like a mentor to me sometimes. Other times, I'm like, just be my Messiah. You know, the fluctuation, you know. But, you know, Reverend Scott's words are the second part of my feelings. Um, okay, here, here are the third part of my feelings. Reverend Janali Johnstone, Unitarian University Fellowship of Manhattan, Kansas. It took years to participate in even leading UU congregations to rediscover the value of Jesus in my spiritual life. When I first came to Unitarian Universalism, I, find, I felt relieved that I didn't have to know what I believed about God or prayer or Christianity. In time, God or Goddess came to life again for me through paganism, which was, which was introduced to me by Sister UU. The same dear friend brought me to interview UU's for the you know, LGBT plus concerns, which provided support for me coming out as a lesbian as a gift from God such Goddess. Real quick, some people would say because of the naked youth thing that in the Bible that Jesus may have known to be the five plus, or some, most, a lot of people object to that, you know, for traditional biblical interpretation. Um, I'm okay with Jesus being any sexual orientation, any gender identity, and any sex characteristic. That's just my personal view because, you know, overall, I think Jesus is urgent and necessary. Um, as I grew into ministry as a profession, I was driven more and more to recognize the Christian tradition. I need to figure out my relationship to Christianity so my spiritual director. No, the Episcopal Buddhist replied, you need to figure out your relationship with Christ. I love that Episcopal Buddhist reply. That's what I'm dealing with right now. And always will be. Reclaiming Jesus reconnected me with other Christians, particularly those works for rights for LGBT plus people. The misuse of scripture against queer people and against women troubled me. But I realized that only by owning those stories fully for myself could I honestly confront the oppression that worked against me and others who needed what church had to offer. Jesus provides inspiration, example, and strategies for work I'm called to do in the world. That's why I call myself Christian today. Hmm. So you can follow Jesus without organized religions what I got from this. I can re- reconnect to that. Sometimes I redefine the word Christian like some, 
I consider myself that sometimes without the conservative theology. I think I can, I, I see myself a lot sometimes as a Christian without the conservative theology. That's that's real, but Rev. Janali's words are the third part of my feelings. Love what she said. Crystal Lewis, Universalist National Memorial Church, Washington, D.C. Among the various images of salvation in scripture, the one that most resonates with me is related to the word root of salvation is Saul. Therefore, salvation is a process by which God's healing is solved and applied to the world. Jesus, for me, demonstrates the manner in which God would have many of us apply this healing solved to the world. When I examine interaction between Jesus and those whose lives he changed, I'm inspired by his commitment to, to, to healing the wounds of the heart and of the society. Jesus, for me, demonstrates healing and shows us the power of salvation, a power that we are to seek and share in his life as often as we can. Those are the fourth part of my feelings. Let's get to the fifth part. Joe Barry, the Foss collaborator at Midfield Lombard Theological School. I left Christianity behind as a teenager, but when I sought a UU congregation to support my children's liberal religious education and then began working as a director of religious education, I encountered Jesus again. As agnostic, I saw him as one of an all-star team of important religious teachers I promised to represent with care so young people can learn about Christianity alongside other world religions. I felt no special affinity to him, but in the years since, I began to see him as something like an experienced colleague in a challenging field, someone with whom I share professional concern. We like seeing Jesus as a revolutionary who spoke up for the disenfranchised, the voiceless. I like to see him as a person. I also like to see him as a political prisoner and a political revolutionary. Um, here we go. And he's also a spiritual revolutionary and spiritual prisoner, you know, because of Rome. Let me get back. But a decade in religious education makes me find one of his most compelling teachings in the story of how he invited children to sit with him. Despite the resistance from other adults who tried to sing in the way he insisted, the simple act of welcome reminds us that young people need to feel claimed by this faith and suggest that their wonder and joy might transform us in return. Jesus asks us to make room in our hearts, minds, and congregations for learning and growing in faith together. The fourth parts of my feelings, the love that is being articulated and by other people, especially reverence. That's nice. Reverend Robert Barlow's last First Church of Sterling, Massachusetts. That could be a chain of verses. Jesus only showed up on Christmas in the form of a baby. When people ask me as a child of Jesus was, I answered a fictional fiction character some people think is God. And this answer said far more about me and my priest than it said about Jesus. Now, I have children of my own. Arturo Eloisia, when I asked who Jesus was, said, Jesus is the queen of God. My eight-year-old Cecilia said, the person is always with me in my heart, and these answers make sense. Because Eloisa has always wanted to be queen, and Cecilia has always wanted to be kind. Jesus resembles who they want to be in the world and what they want the world to be like. We need to answer Jesus when he says, who do you say that I am? Because the answer says a lot about what we want the world to be like. We need to tell a really important story about who Jesus is before someone else tells our children different. So if Jesus were here and he said to me, who do you say that I am? Or when you're talking to your children, what do you tell them about me? I would say something like, Jesus would say, you're a person sent to show us what God's love looks like. And you're a friend of love, the last, the first, lost, the found, the least, the favorite. You came to release the change of injustice, the great purpose is in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Those are the fifth and final parts of my feelings. Um, again, I have agnosticism. I have my moments of atheism, and I have my agnosticism. But I hope that and supernaturalism miracles because 
Or if my questions can be answered. I'm just hoping. Just hoping. Holding on hope. Um. I want to finish with this though. Can you turn to verse list? Kids say God is. God is anything you want God to be. It's probably a portable God you can shape to fit your beliefs. An individual God, no two alike. For me, God is a five-year-old little girl. For my cat, God is a cat. Everywhere. God is in the earth and all spirits. Everything, everywhere. God is in us and around us. God is not a person, but a controlling force in all of us. God is all different colors. God is all things and all lives and all creation. God is all those things that make up me. God is in everyone. God is in your heart. God is anything that's mysterious and has remarkable power. God could be the spark that keeps everything, everything, like other things. God is like the wind because God is all around. God is like magic because God is all power. God is like a car driver because God is in control. God is like your heart because God keeps you alive. God is like friendship because God is loving. God is like a chip because God makes you feel comfortable and safe and great. God is like a protector. God is like a fire. God is the biggest camera ever made. God is an old man with a white beard who is tall and nice. God is a big woman who loves us all. Here's where I'm going to be pro-black here. God is a black woman. Black woman's God. How about that? God is LGBTQI+. God is heterosexual and cisgender. God has any and all sex characteristics. Um, God is short. God is stern when God needs to be. God is a young man. God is clean shaven and hairless. God is hairy. Um, God is a big woman who loves us all. God is a young woman. God is breath. God is a good feeling. God is the kid is the curiosity inside you. God is about feelings. God is peace. God is the dreamers. God is the asylum seekers. God is the refugees. God is the immigrants. God is of Hispanic descent. God is the Native Americans. God is in on Native American reservations. God is God is in all the seven continents. God is all the islands. God is all the cities. God is all the states. God is all the countries. God is all the continents. God is all the islands. So God is breath. God is good feeling. God is the curiosity inside you. God is about feelings. God is peace. God is the believers. God is the faith based. God is the secularists. Uh, God is the unbelievers. God is the non believers. Um, God is obviously, I mean, obviously, but God is the pious. God is the religious. God is the spiritual. Uh, God is about feelings. God is peace. God is the whispering of the wind. The brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, grandmas, grandpas, cousins, gold and silver, a cross, a star, a chalice, and the people. About nature. God is a rainbow. God is a cloud. He stays in the sky. God is in the sea or up in the air. God is the sun coming through the clouds. A spirit. God is a very special person who lives in the clouds and all the dead people are God's helpers. God, God is a spirit, not a person or an animal. God is a spirit who looks a lot like Jesus. Not exactly. <laughs> I would say God is an animal. God is... God is someone who sorts of takes your spirit after you die. 
God is the spirit of life. There is a God, but God is invisible. God is a she, a he, and a they. <laughs> God is a good spirit to me. God never lies. God has intelligence. Most of all, God loves me. A mystery. God never shows God's self. Only gives simple images. God might give something bad to say something good. God can grant blood, but not a million dollars. Non-existence. Some people say, I do not believe in God. I can think what I want. I don't believe in devil either. There are many ways to believe, and everyone is okay even those who don't believe. What is God? Some people think that God is a feeling you carry deep in your heart. Some people think God's all around us, the world of which we're a part. Some people think that God is the flowers, the earth, the air, and the trees. Some people think that God's what's unknown to wonder is just a big tease. Some people think that God is in, God is the stars twinkling so bright in the night. Some people think that God is knowledge of doing what's wrong and what's right. Some people think that God is an old man living way up in the sky. Some people think that God is the answer whenever we ask ourselves why. Some people think that God is a puzzle. The pieces never quite fit. Some people think that God's what you hear when you make yourself quietly sit. We all have ideas about what is God. Thoughts that we think on our own. But here in this church, in this place together, we never need question wrong by Beth Graham. Whoo! I love, those are all my views on God, actually. Um, thoughts for parents. One of the same principles that you intend to listen to learn from others are clear and responsible searching for the meaning. We believe this is, an, is as important for our children as it is for the adults. Since children absorb their religious understandings and turn to their unique to their stage of development, we as adults must be sensitive to the evolving sense of the holy. We have much to learn from our children for the spiritual language and just seems to flow so smoothly between the concrete and the ethereal. Enjoy your child's personal philosophy as an unfold, says child study professor George Scarlett of Tufts University. Listen to the child talk about God. Try to understand and show respect for their ideas, even while sharing their own. The point is to keep a dialogue about spiritual matters going. Harold Ho, formerly U.S. Commissioner of Education at University, shouted these words to his minister at church one day. Here's a definition of Unitarian Universalist. A person who can ask children, what is God, listen seriously, and listen seriously to their replies. P.S. once went to Sunday school for about seven years, but no one asked me what is God. Instead, they told me. Unitarian Universalists find value in listening to what our children are saying about God. The children's words illustrate the children by grade school students and religious education classes from the First Universalist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The First Unitarian Church in Memphis, Tennessee, the Unitarian Universalist Church is in Sarasota, Florida, and in Olinda, Ontario. And the First Parish Church is in Concord and Milton, Massachusetts. Well, I have been, I'll say this in closing. I have deconstructed Christianity. I've deconverted from legalistic religion and the unchristlike parts of religion. Um, I am of humanist spirituality. I have a humanistic spirituality and a spiritual humanist and spiritually humanistic. Um, spiritually humanistic. Um, I'm a spiritual humanist because I practice spiritual humanism. Um, I think that explains all my views, you know.
so I could definitely say that I am complete in knowing that the fluctuation of deconversion from religion, not spirituality, and deconstructing religion has been the best thing that's ever happened to me. 